Decoding Future Leadership is an audiovisual podcast breaking open the capabilities, technologies, growth strategies, and mental fitness required to lead our future working world. A collaboration between PeopleStrong, the customer's choice for HR tech across Asia Pacific, and Fisher Leadership, each episode addresses the challenges of a hybrid workforce with a blend of human capability and HR technology solutions. Let's get into this week's episode. So it's my pleasure to welcome today's guest to the Decoding Future Leadership podcast, business storytelling extraordinaire, Gabrielle Dolan. Ral, as she likes to be called, is a renowned keynote speaker, a sought-after advisor when it comes to both leadership and brand storytelling, and a prolific author of texts including How to Be You and Lead True, Stories for Work, and Hooked, all designed to help us realize that we all have a story to tell. Today, we're going to dive into the connection between stories and systems. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Welcome, Ral. Uh, thanks, June. That's a lovely introduction. I always liked being called storytelling extraordinaire, so that's thank you. And I know that you are, so I'm looking forward to our conversation. Um, the first question. So in researching your latest book, you took up the challenge to find origin stories for some of the world's oldest companies and discovered some some really engaging examples. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah, I can. And maybe it's like the reason I, I did that. So often I talk about, you know, what's you should, as a company, you should share the story about why the company started because it's normally started for a reason. But I'll have some of people going, oh, but our, our company's really old, so we don't know the story. Or our company's like a merger of different companies, so there's no story. And I go, there's actually always a story. It doesn't matter how old your company is, it started from somewhere. So I did then actually set myself a challenge to say, well, what are some of the oldest companies in the world and what was their creation story? And June, I was surprised how easily I found them. I literally Googled oldest companies in the world and one of the first ones I came across was the Royal Mint. So the Royal Mint in the UK is over 886 old years old and the way that started is when Alfred the Great recaptured London he began issuing silver pennies with his portrait on it and that was the start of of the royal mint so he's like yeah that was it was so easy to find and there was another story i found of a company that's over 1150 years old which is just astounding wow. and that would that's a winery and a guest house in Germany that was um, operating for quite a few hundred years but then they actually the original old owners sold the land to a local abbey that they said you could use the land to earn an income and it was in it was with the abbey for 942 years until the current owners, um, you know, purchased it in 1805 and now it's a seventh generational winery. So you just sort of think that is such a cool story and it was, um, you know, and, and that story actually is on their website. So it's just, I just, I just encourage everyone's got a, every company's got a story about why they started um, and if you don't know it, find it because I bet you it's there and I bet you it's a good one. And, I, and, I, and thinking about the link between systems and stories, think about the systems of, of then to today. That's going to be extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> Almost riding on tablets to technology. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so obviously we've been through massive change um, and, and obviously most recently during the pandemic we've had to rely much more on systems. 
How has technology adoption and the, the digitization of the workforce changed the role of storytelling in your mind? Yeah, look, I think the last couple of years has accelerated a lot of things and um, technology has enabled that. I mean, first of all, technology has allowed us to work from home. Could could you imagine this pandemic happening even 20 years ago and we wouldn't be working for it? I don't know what we would do. So so technology has has enabled that. I have seen, um, you know, I I think a lot of good companies and a lot of good leaders really understood why storytelling was so powerful as a way to engage and connect with their, you know, employees. But it took us, I think it took us uh, at the last couple of years of being physically disconnected to companies realising how so important that human connection is and that's what storytelling can do. So storytelling can do that. So I've found, you know, because we have been easily able to work from home around because technology has enabled it, uh, we, you know, you would have probably experienced the same where people have been started to work for your company and they've been perhaps working for the company for six months or 12 months and have actually never met anyone. Yeah. So those that storytelling becomes really powerful because how do you induct people? How do you build relationships and how do you fast track that trust and respect when you're virtually and you've never actually physically met? So, um yeah, while I think storytelling has rightly now been seen absolutely critical to build those connections. Have you got any um, examples of when you've seen it working really well in terms of inducting people during the, the pandemic or developing the culture? Yeah, so look, first of all, and I actually, it's interesting, I actually mentioned this in the book, that a really good induction program will always be about um, stories. The only way you can get to know people or this is how we do things, this is what the behaviour you expect is through stories. So, yes. and that's become critical uh, in a virtual setting. So I, I will, I'll, I'll actually give you an example. I th- and this is a really cool example of exactly what you've just said, but an example yeah. of a story to induct people in. So um, I, I've done, I've done work, I did work with this woman like years ago and she's almost got this signature story about which talks about how she leads and what she's expect. And I'll, I'll quickly share the story because I think it will be set into context. She talks about um, one of the, her values is integrity and doing the right yep. thing. And she'll say, um, you know, with my dad, in the early 60s, my dad was a professional swimmer and he reached the point in his career where he actually tried out for the National Swim Squad. And on the day of the meet, he was apparently winning his race and he got to the end and for whatever reason, when he did the tumble turn, he slightly misjudged it and he missed the wall. Now, this was in the 60s, so it was way before technology and sensors in the wall. And with, they had judges, but with all that splashing and kicking, he sort of knew they wouldn't know if he touched the wall or not. So he had to make a split-second decision. Does he go back and touch the wall or does he just keep going? And he decided to go back and touch the wall. And you don't really recover from that. And, nice. and probably for a whole lot of reasons, he never made the National Swim Squad. And I would often say to dad, you know, do you ever regret going back and touching the wall? And he would always say, I've never regretted that because if I didn't go back and touch the wall, I'd have to spend the rest of my life knowing I did the wrong thing. And when I look at the importance of our value and integrity, I think of my dad. It's only a matter of time before we will come across our own go back and touch the wall moment. Yeah. I invite you to consider what my dad would do. So that I mean that, that story I love that story it's so powerful Great story. And it's, it's, it yeah. sets it up 
Anne, you know, her name's Anne. She works, she shares that story as part of her induction when people come into her team. During the height of the pandemic, so last year, she um, changed companies. She got a global role at Salesforce. So I remember I am catching up with her a few months later when we could actually catch up. And I said, and she said it was because of the technology, because everyone was working from home, because it was a global role, she had to meet the team. She got 10 minutes to introduce herself to the entire team and it was 2 a.m. in the morning for her because of the global team. <laughs> and I go, what did you do? She goes, I just told the story about my dad yeah, because I know, like, you know, she knows what that does to her in a face-to-face environment but she knows how that can fast track trust and respect. So when you when you got ten minutes to speak at two a.m. in the morning, um, you don't want to be rolling through a PowerPoint slide. And so I, I just thought that was a great example of it's always a great it's 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 a brilliant example of a great story. But her sharing it in a global pandemic is um, really what made it work. Really powerful, exactly. Um, as leaders, we need to leverage our relationships across teams. The example you gave was terrific. Um, and stakeholders to, to really take advantage of a changing world. So when it comes to big systems change like environment or diversity and inclusion, um, how do stories impact systems change? Yeah, so I... Um... I've been doing this storytelling, teaching people storytelling for 17 years. And prior to that, I was spent, I was a senior leader in National Australia Bank and my last couple of roles were doing systems change. So implementing, you know, I remember 20 years ago doing, being one of the very first implementations of SAP. Which, wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. I think it's still Those going. are the days you couldn't find SAP implementers for love and money. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it was with NAB and like it, it was it's massive projects. And um, I, I fundamentally believe that the vast majority of change and, you know, we're talking about technical change or otherwise, but, you know, a lot of change, I guess, is driven by uh, technical systems. That the large majority of change fails is we because we don't lead it through stories. We we lead it through data and logic, which you still need and it still needs to make sense. But but data and logic don't inspire people. They don't engage no. people. It's like the stories you can share. And you know, even when I looked at, you know, how do you drive big change like environment, if we look back, you know, however long ago, 20 years ago, when Al Gore came out with the inconvenient truth, that actually changed the conversation because instead of scientists just going data, 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 Al Gore came out with this, which fundamentally was a PowerPoint presentation, but he, he showed pictures of the polar bears on the melting ice caps. He actually made through the stories, there was an emotional connection and that, and that changed it. Um, and you, you know, you even look at something like diversity and equality and inclusion you can't communicate that through bullet points. You can't communicate it through logic because I think what everyone does is, oh, yeah, I am inclusive. I, I I don't have a problem. And it's only through the stories where people are sharing that we sort of go, oh, I didn't realise that's what they meant by inclusive. I thought I was being inclusive. So I, I truly believe you can't you can't communicate any big change without stories. And if you're trying to do it without stories, then you'll you'll do the uh, post-mortem and, see, and think, why did this not fail? Why did yeah. this fail, rather? And it's because yeah. we haven't led with stories. And people, people make change because they believe in it and they feel it. 
yeah. don't they? No, no one really makes change just because of logic. No, no one. <laughs> it's and too it, hard. It, yeah. Absolutely. We and as humans, we we make decisions based on emotion, not logic. Yes. Um, the, you still want the, you know, you still need the logic there to make of sense. But um, of we 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 buy into things. We buy into strategy because you know of a connection with it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so we know that new technologies positively impact organisational success and reap significant benefits. So how do we communicate this to those who maybe are suffering from change fatigue? Mm, yeah, it's um, I always have an interesting reaction when I hear the word change fatigue because I yep. think um, it's sort of like when I hear about Zoom fatigue, okay, People aren't fatigued about change. Like if the change was really good and every day it made their life better, no one would be fatigued about it. And it's like no one's fatigued with Zoom. They're just fatigued with really boring Zoom meetings and people that can't <laughs> present well on Zoom, right? So we're not, we're not over it. So when I hear the word um, change fatigue, I think what that really means is it, it's not being communicated properly. It's not being communicated in a way people get it or understand it or are engaged in it or, God forbid, even excited about it, what they see is it being done to them and, um, you know, yes. you, you sort of like we do this and, I'm you know, like I'm not even really sure why we're doing this change because it hasn't been communicated but I do it and then all of a sudden six months or 12 months later we're doing something different and it was like, hang on, I wasn't even sure why we are doing that in the first place. So I, I think change fatigue comes about because of our inability to communicate the why we're doing it. Um, and, and it's not, you know, not just the burning platform why. It's like, oh, if we don't do this, it's, you know, we'll die or, you know, it's just the market's changing. But truly bringing people along with the change. And, and I think if we can do that, um, you know, the fatigue wouldn't be there because I think as humans we're very used to change. Even though, you know, June, there's all these saying people resist change. I'm not sure about that either. They resist crap change. Um, but as humans, <laughs> as humans, we change. I mean, I even think um, every day we change. I mean, every day we get older, every day something happens. Uh, you know, being a parent, like every period they go through is you've got to change to be a parent, like you've got to change to be a leader. So I, I just think we're, um, I think we're over bad change, poorly communicated change, because if it was good and exciting, there'd be no fatigue. This podcast is created by Fisher Leadership and proudly sponsored by PeopleStrong. Here's a message from PeopleStrong CEO, Sandeep Chowdhury. We indeed are living in the era of talent economy. The talent economy fundamentally for us means looking at the world of work, workplace and workforce very differently than what we've essentially experienced and known in the pre-pandemic world. We fundamentally believe that experience, collaboration, and data will actually differentiate the best from the rest. With that ambition, PeopleStrong has brought the first talent operating system to enterprises to essentially be able to personalize the employee journey right from the hiring into the learning performance and the career management stage of every employee. We've done that with massive amount of AI and ML that will bring in the right decisions for an employee and for the enterprises to essentially take the biggest advantage of 
the crisis that we're just coming out of. And I think I love what you said about people resent or get over change being done to them. Mm. I think you're right. I think the storytelling is where it encourages people to buy into the why and the you can see that it's it's really powerful to yeah. get people on board and to be engaged in change. Yeah, yeah it is. Have you, got, have you got examples of when, you know, people have done it really well? Yeah, I've got, um, and again, not like I, I, I feel like I'm plugging the book, but I, I'm not because um, I just, there's a couple of examples in there where, you know, companies have gone through change. Uh, one particular is a company that I did work with in Vietnam and it was an investment company and they, you know, they invest really heavily in being really clear what their purpose is and what their values are and their, their yes. behaviours. They, I, I spent like days and days with them and their leadership team teaching them how to share stories around their values and their um, their behaviours, but also they, they're, they're induction program so well. So people are so bought in to the culture. They're so bought into, yep, this is actually the values and behaviours we 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 want to be part of like people are coming into the company because they want to be part of this. So they, when you've got that trust level of trust and relationship change, change is relatively easy or yeah, easier great. for them. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, have you seen any organizations flip it the other way? So rather than using stories to change a system, have you seen leaders using systems to change the story. So I'm thinking about companies like Altazan, for example, you know, telling employees that they can work from anywhere. So that's sort of um, anywhere forever, whereas Amazon and Netflix are saying, no, you've got to return to the office. So there's the systems are influencing what the story that's coming from that, I guess. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting thing. So when even when you said uh, how leaders are using systems to change the story, I, th I think the word I would use there is they're changing the game. So they're right. absolutely changing the game. So if you if you think two years ago, two years ago, the concept of a company saying you can work from home wherever, anytime, you <laughs> have like it would not even be on anyone's you know horizon or agenda. And now that you've got some companies are saying that it's it's changing the game. It's sort of like it um, is. Well, we can actually. It's like you know breaking the four-minute miles, like all of a sudden it's possible. And, we, and I think the last two years have shown us that it's possible and it's absolutely far accelerated that process. So what what I think then is happening, so I look at everything as like you can share all the stories that you like. So you could look at some companies and they one of their values might be trust and they can share all the stories they like about how they trust their employees and blah, blah, blah. But then if they go, oh, and by the way, you, I want everyone back in the office because that is ultimately, I don't trust you to be working yes. from home. It sends the right. It's a. It's a. It's not congruent. Where right. you've got it. Where you've got another company saying, no, we are now going to make it. Um, poly, you know, you can work from anywhere. That's creating a story. So to me, to me, your brand. I often think of, and you know, the whole book, magnetic stories connect with customers and engage employees around brand storytelling. Your brand. Are the pe are the stories people share about you? That's that's your yes. brand, and what type of stories are they sharing? So to me, brand storytelling becomes around two things. It's saying, okay, we want to be known for this. So if you want to be known for authenticity or innovative or whatever, if you're e exceptional customer service, you want to be known for that. Great, that's the first step. And then there's two parts to that. Actively share stories about that. So if you want to be known for exceptional customer service 
share stories about where you've delivered exceptional customer service, yeah. but also do things that create stories. So, you know, how are you, you know, I've just, I've just come off a call from a client that I'm going to be working with and they, they're all about creating remarkable experiences. So, yes, you want to share stories of creating remarkable experiences for your people, for your customers, but you also need to empower your people to say, well, what can you do to create a remarkable experience? And then the leadership, the, the leaders of the company have to go, well, what can we do create to create remarkable experiences for our people? And that's that should guide decisions, like to say, well, are we going to ask them to come back into the office five days a week or are we going to give them the choice? What would create a remarkable experience? I think yes. giving them the choice. So <laughs> it should be around, you know, so I think I think companies are changing the game and the stories that they will create will absolutely attract talent um, you know, I truly believe that the really good companies, this will become an attraction and retention thing. And especially we're talking about the great resignation. Um, why would you, why would you, why would you go and work for a company that's going to drag us back to where we were two years ago when you've got other companies that go, no, the game has changed and we're committed to it. And I guess the technology has a massive influence on that. So you can't change the game if you don't have the systems and processes in, in the back end to support that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I remember when I was at NAB and I, well, I was in technology and um, we were sort of one of the first, like when I, when I was on, went on maternity leave for the first time, which would have been 21 years ago, and trialling the whole work from home. Now, it just... It was just a terrible experience because everything was slow. Um, you couldn't access the, all the files you wanted, and it was just and it, so without technology. And that's what, like I said before at the start, if this pandemic had have happened twenty years ago, or like even <laughs> even ten years ago, the technology would not have allowed this mm-hmm. to happen. I mean, you you look at um, some companies like departments for call centres. I mean, I look at call centres now and you think that just lends itself perfectly from everyone working from home. Why, why did we Great. think that we had to have call centres? One place. When it's yes. literally, when you think about it, it's someone just talking to someone over the phone. Why could they not be? But without the pandemic, that would never have happened. And through technology, it allowed companies to literally within a week or two, like, take their entire call centres, their entire workforce working from home. But, yeah, the, yeah, technology has played a powerful part in that. Yeah. So can we talk a bit about um, people management systems? So how do you feel we can use good people management systems to tell better stories and then lead more effective organisations? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's it's sort of what you mean what you talk about with people management systems. Um, so to me, it's like when I just look at leading people, so managing people, yeah. um, whether you're the whether you're the first time team leader or you're the senior exec, it's how you can use stories to manage people, um, to inspire people. I think not just manage people, but inspire people. And then I also look at um, some of the internal technologies we have like you know yammer and workspace and all that all that you know even a lot of companies are using uh social media internally all that stuff lends itself absolutely lends itself to sharing stories 
Uh, I've already spoken about the uh, induction program. Like, you know, if all these systems that we have to bring people into the organisation, so even the recruitment process, what stories are you sharing in the recruitment process that want people to work for you, um, you know, to once they get in, what stories are we sharing around the in, in the induction? Now, whether that's a formal or induction or informal induction or both, what mm-hmm. stories are you sharing to get people really engaged and connected to the culture and the values and the behaviours? So I think there's there's room for uh, stories in the, I guess, systems, but just even the day-to-day conversations people are having. And it was interesting you talked about the great resignation before. So we need to be developing people in their roles and and promoting people across organisations and up and out and through. And I think some of the systems allow you to capture some of that really great information about who's performing and then to to train and develop people using the systems as well, you know, so that you can keep people, which is extraordinary when we wouldn't have had that information in the past. Yeah, exactly. And I think I often think of um, reward systems. So instead of just giving someone a bonus or we've got, uh, you know, awards or rewards, it was like share the story about why. So yeah. I see I see this as such a missed opportunity where someone will get a you know recognized for being a good team player and they left it that or they they're a good team player. I was like, well give me Why? give me an example of when yeah. they were a great team player. Like bring it to life by and then everyone else goes, Oh wow, yeah, well, you know, that's that's the that's the behavior that's been rewarded. So maybe I need to do more of that. But just saying I'm a good team player doesn't tell me anything. It's like share the story of when they were a good team player. What did they do? What was the outcome? Yeah. Great example. Um, So whilst technology and AI may be relied upon to be objective and analytic, humans, as we know, are significantly more complex. So where do you see, it's a tough question, where do you see the interplay between data and emotions to drive a point home? Mm, okay um that's a really good question it's actually a complex question yes I almost see that in two two parts so first of all let me let me talk about the the interplay between data and emotion to drive a point home I think and this goes back I think to when I was talking about why most change fails is because we just focus on the data and we don't tap into emotion um it was Aristotle two and a half thousand years ago said that we need three things to influence people and that's logos, ethos and pathos, which is data, logic, personal credibility and emotional connection. And the two most important are those personal credibility and emotional connection. Uh, the least important is data. So you still need it. You still need it, but a lot of people and anyone in traditional sales roles will tell you people buy on emotion and they justify with data and logic. So, But too often in business we try to influence through data and logic and all data does is inform people, not inspire them. If If data did more than that, none of us would smoke. None of us would speed. We'd eat healthy and exercise every day. We wouldn't drink as much, but we don't because data just informs us. So you need both. To me, um, I look at data and emotion as almost the Batman and Robin, like they're a dynamic duo together, but yeah. you need the yin and the yang. Them. The yin and the yang. It was yeah. like, um, so yeah, you, you absolutely need to drive a point home. And then I think you know, the first thing it was like technology and AI may be relied upon to be objective and analytical. Part of me goes yes, but then part of me, especially the AI staff, it's been programmed by humans. So 
how objective and analytical is it? How how trustworthy is it? I mean, this is one of the really big reasons why they're pushing girls into STEM because all that bias, all that objectivity, if it's if our future AI is being created by young males, that systemic way they think is going to be built in for the next 50, 100 years and we won't get rid of it. So we do we do have to think, yes, it's AI and technology, but it's been it's been produced comes and developed. from somewhere. It's come yes. from somewhere. I, I still remember when I was um when I was sixteen, so this is going back a long way, you know, eighty two or something, I was I did computer programming at school. It was like it's when computers first came out. And my brother was obsessed with, you know, um games he used to play. And the latest Star Wars game had come out, but we couldn't get it. I actually programmed a game and I said, this is Star Wars and he got on and I programmed it to say, it asked for his name and asked for what he was doing. And I programmed it to a point that it didn't matter what he did. The only thing that would come up on the screen was go and clean your room. That was <laughs> and it was like, so, you know, I'm not sure how, uh, how objective and analytical it is when you can, when you can, you know, program influence. it to do anything when you can influence. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. I love it. Um, so I have final question. Um, my final question is how do you see technology enabling a more human future of work? Yeah, I think, look, I think this is some of the things we've spoken about. To, but to yeah. me, a more human future of work is when people are allowed to live their life and their potential life. So if even we think this whole remote working, like work from anywhere is a human future of work, like like who decided that we can have two days with our family and five days in an office somewhere? Even the I've noticed with my clients, even though we've got this comfort that we can be doing in-person training, a lot of them are still saying we still will keep it virtual because there's a lot of benefits. I mean, you just even think if you're if you're doing a half-day workshop that goes from nine to twelve thirty, the amount of people that run late for that because they've got to drop kids off or they've got to you know, and so if it's virtual and they can do it from home, it just allows that. So. I even, you know, I we've got a prop a twenty five acre property on the southern New South Wales coast, and a couple of weeks ago, my husband was going to go out for a week, and I looked at my diary, and I had two virtual workshops. And it was like, well, I can just Great. do it from there. You can so just I, go. I yeah. went, and you know, the bellbirds are singing in the background. But so I think it's only through technology that 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 will truly enable us to say to have this human future of work. Great. Thank you. Um, Raul, I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's been fantastic. And I'm going to tap into my own storytelling and tell more stories because I think, you know, it's amazing to see the difference it makes when you when you shared your stories. You know, I can I can remember those. And, and a lot of the data, like you say, you can't remember the data, but you remember the story because you connect to it. So I really appreciate you um, spending time with us today. And, um, and I look forward to reading your book. Thanks, June. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Decoding Future Leadership. Thanks for listening. We'd really love to hear how your workplace is combining human capability and HR technology to redesign our hybrid working environments. Please like, comment, share and subscribe to help us create a world of difference. Brought to you by PeopleStrong and Fisher Leadership. <laughs>